Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you. We can't, we can't thank you enough for all the amazing things that you do that you are to us. Thank you for including us in your family, in your family name. Thank you. We pray, Lord, right now, open up your word to us. Open up our hearts to you. We pray, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you know this song, feel free to, uh, to sing along, but because I love you, I won't sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. I don't know, I always love that song. It's not like it's got a great beat to it, but it's an exciting little song. And it's actually not a half-bad synopsis of that section in Scripture. Today, as we, as we think about Palm Sunday, I want to stop and remember that first Palm Sunday. And one of the first things that happens in that Palm Sunday is him seeing Zacchaeus and going to Zacchaeus' home. It's worth remembering the, the points that Jesus is trying to make in that last week before his death as he's going to Jerusalem, knowing full well that he's going to be crucified, knowing full well that by the end of the week he'll be dead, knowing full well all that. He told his disciples that on his way. It's worth remembering that he thought, he thought I've got one last Passover that I can spend with them. I have one last chance to remind people about how God's wrath passed over them because of the blood of the Lamb. I have one last chance to teach them what it means to, to submit to one another and to, to serve one another, even if it means washing their feet. I have a handful of one last time to teach stuff. If you knew, if you absolutely knew that you only had a couple more days to live, what would you want to say and to whom? Sad thing is some people go, I got a few things I want to say to Randy. You know, I've been saving it up. But it's like, what would you feel you need to prioritize? What do you need to say and to whom? There's whole weeks full of teachings, of object lessons, of reminders and corrections and encouragements that Jesus gives. And 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 much of it, if not all of it, is technically grounded in Christ's core priority of love. I love you. I love my disciples. Let me show you my love. People will know you by your love. So you need to love one another. You need to love one another. And I need you to love the lost because God loves the lost. I need you to love them. I love my father and I love my father's house. And zeal for that drives me to do things that you go, well, that's not particularly loving. That's absolutely love. Love compels him. Love directs him. Love encourages him. Love is what he's saying over and over and over again. You need to love even those, forgive even those who who arrest you and torture and kill you. Because it's important to love your enemies, right? Can you love your enemy? Absolutely not. You cannot love your enemy. 
I think you absolutely can't. Because if you really love your enemy, if you say, I love them, not just affection, not just I'll do something for them, I love them, I'm going to prioritize their needs, I'm going to say that I'm going to commit myself, no, I desire to commit myself to meeting that person's need, they kind of cease to be my enemy after a while, don't they? You can start loving an enemy. You can't keep loving an enemy. By definition, if you truly love your enemy, you love them into being your beloved. Which is why a lot of times, if somebody talks to me about bitterness with somebody and I can't get over that, a lot of times I will say, do me a favor, pray for them. Just pray for their well-being. Do not pray that God deal with their black heart. No, no, just pray for their pray for their health, pray for their well-being, pray for them to grow, pray for them. It's amazing how often you can't stay bitter with somebody that you are genuinely wishing the best for. On Palm Sunday, the zenith of his ministry when everybody thinks they know what it means to say he is our king, Jesus started the whole ball rolling with this object lesson. Because before he got to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, he entered Jericho, right? On his way there. Luke 19.1. Go ahead and open your Bibles if, you're, if you haven't already figured this out. And go to Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus, before he got to Jerusalem, he first entered nearby Jericho and was passing through on his way to Jerusalem. And a man was there in Jericho by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. And what do we know about tax collectors? Very good, yeah. Now I kind of want to go, Haman, and see if you boo that. But, um, but yes, tax collectors, they're, they're Roman collaborators. They're people collecting taxes to pay for the occupation of our country by a foreign power. And if they're wealthy, it's because they have overtaxed you. They make their money off of how much additional tax they, they, they make you pay. In fact, Dr. Luke has just gotten finished quoting something about Jesus saying stuff about tax collectors in the very previous chapter. So stay in, stay in Luke 19. But in Luke 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. I mean, I don't know who that would be. He doesn't name them by name. You go, oh, I know who they are. They're the Pharisees. You go, How do you know that? You go, oh, <laughs> Because I know them, because I'm righteous and they're not. <laughs> oh, then he's saying this to you. To those, and then, no. if he says this and you go, oh, I know who he's talking about, automatically that kind of makes it you, doesn't it? Anyway, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was, oh, I don't know, a Pharisee. And the other was, what? Maybe a tax collector. To the first century audience, they're like, okay, I, I get this. There's the righteous guy, because this is what the Pharisees were, the ones who are right, right? They're the ones who interpret the law. They're the lawyers of God's law. They're the good guys. And then the tax collectors are quintessential turncoat traders. They're the bad guys. So there's a good guy and a bad guy, right? Nice binary way of looking at it. Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, which right there is a little bit of a red flag when you think about it. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. 
robbers and evildoers or adulterers, even like that tax collector. I love how the tax collector is like in, in a list of his own. There's all these sinners. Him. And I'm saying this out loud so that everybody can hear me. And this tax collector is standing there and hears this. He continued, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. You know, a tenth. Would that be the tithe? Yeah, that we're all supposed to give? Yeah. Your resume is that you do what you're supposed to do? Yeah. Okay, go on. You're trying to impress God. I give the top tenth. We're all supposed to give the top tenth, but I do it. Okay, fine. I love that Jesus talks about this kind of guy earlier in his ministry in Matthew 6. He said, you know, when you pray, how about this? Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the guys who wear one face but have another. They love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be heard by men and seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Did, did you do such an eloquent prayer that people clapped afterwards? I did. Did you enjoy the clapping? Yeah, good. Because you'll get nothing from God. I hope you enjoyed it, because that's all. But the tax collector stood at a distance, too humble to even come close. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank you. I'm so righteous. God, forgive me for being so unrighteous. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The tax collector, not the Pharisee. Why? Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Maybe you struggle with this, maybe you don't. You're sitting in a pew, you probably don't at the moment. Yes, yes, humble, yes. I'm very humble. But on a day-to-day, rubber hits the road basis. Help me out. Do you ever get frustrated that somebody got what you wanted? How come she gets accolades and I don't? How, How come this happened for him and not for me? Well, at least I'm better than this. I can't stand those people. Those guys are messed up. Tacitly not like me, who's not as messed up. Rubber hits the road day to day. Do we live out what we think while we're sitting in the pew? Jesus says, you do understand that it's the person that says, I think I'm broken and I could use some help. That's the person I see that needs exaltation. The person that goes... Why didn't I get that? Maybe that's the person that needs a little bit of a loving loving smackdown from God. Luke 19, verse 2. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy, which means he's not just a Roman collaborator. He's really naughty about it. In fact, he's so naughty, he's in charge of the naughtiness. This is a messed up guy. I wonder, was there any chance that Zacchaeus might have heard about what Jesus said in the last chapter? I don't know. See, there's this Pharisee, but it was the tax collector who repented that God, I don't know. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he didn't know Jesus. Jesus didn't know him. But being a short man or a wee little man, if you're Scottish, um, being a wee little man, he couldn't see because of the crowd. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Which I love. They say that the thing is still there. I don't know. But they they have a clump of sycamore trees smack dab in the middle of town that's been there for... There's a tree that they say is that sycamore tree that they've dated. It's 2,000 years old. Of course, there's another tree down the street that's the tree. It's in a church, and it's just a stump. But that's the... Point is, there are sycamore trees, smack that, middle town, 2,000 years old, Jericho has its sycamore trees. What would it, would there be a significance that this important, well-known, wealthy, evil, vile, rotten collaborator that everybody knows ran to smack down the center of town, climbed up in a tree where everybody could see, so they could see Jesus? When Jesus reached the spot, he, I, just, I just pictured Jesus walking in and going, you know, just, really? You're up there. Sees Zacchaeus up there. And said, hey, Zacchaeus. How did he know his name? Yeah, I mean, they never met, but he's like, yeah, I know him. Zacchaeus. And if he knew his name before he ever got to Jericho, is there any chance that Zacchaeus is who he was picturing the chapter before when he talked about a tax collector? Hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I absolutely have to stay at your house today. I must. I love that. Isn't, isn't he on his way to Jerusalem to ultimately get crucified? He's got more important things to do, doesn't he, than stop and chat with Zacchaeus. I absolutely have to come to your house today. Why did he waste time with Zacchaeus, with a crook, an enemy of God's people? Isn't there important stuff that he's got to do? That is the important stuff, right? Who's, who's he going to go die for? Why is he being crucified? Who is he being crucified for if not people like Zacchaeus or, you know, Linda? The broken people, the messed up people, like me, Right? Like you. That's that is the plan. We go, isn't this a deviation from the plan? Aren't you deviating from the plan? He's like, that's the plan. You are the plan. I came to Jericho to see you, Zacchaeus. We forget that rotten people like Zacchaeus, the messed up people like me, we are the plan. Relationship with us is the plan. It's not an interruption of the plan. A hundred years from now, the only Christians on the planet will be those whose lives were affected by what Christians like you and I do today. You aren't born in the church. You're reborn into it. You have to be born again. And the only way that you can be born again is to call on your Savior. And the only way you can know to call on Him or even know that He is your Savior is that somebody somewhere told you. Yes? Somebody somewhere said, you're broken like I was. Your need, like I have been. You need the Savior just as much as I did. So last teaching, number one, is him saying, Zacchaeus is the plan. He's not a deviation from it. If there's anybody that you go, well, they're not the important people, then they're the important people. That is the plan. 
I have so little time to spare this week that I absolutely must come and spend time with you today. This is the only time I have for you, Zacchaeus. We've got to do it now. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Because apparently he's primed. And to know that the rabbi, that he's like, I've got to see this rabbi. I want to know this rabbi. Says, oh, I already know you, Zacchaeus. I have this immediate drop in the gut. Yeah. Zacchaeus! <gasps> he knows. Yes, I know all about you, which is why I need to spend quality time with you. That's powerful. But it's hard to picture, because sometimes we can picture God stopping to take care of somebody who needs healing. But to stop and talk to somebody that's committed to sinning, would that be your priority? If you knew you only had a finite amount of time, would that be your priority? Would it really? How much time do you have left, by the way? When exactly is your last breath? All the people saw this and praised God that he would stop and love a sinner. Yes? No. They began to mutter. He's gone to the guest to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, what does he call Jesus? God's primed Zacchaeus. Here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, Zacchaeus says. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, technically it's all the people that I have cheated. There's no if to it. All the people that I've cheated out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, breaking the law. It's against the law to give half of your possessions to the poor because then it leaves you poor. It's against the law for you to give this much back in restitution. You're supposed to give like 20% back. If I stole $100 from Kelvin, I should give him $120 back. Zacchaeus goes, I I stole $100 from Kelvin. I'm giving him $400 back. I stole $50 from Alex. I'm giving him $200 back. I, 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 I have to. I have to do this. Dwarfing that cultured, I give 10% of the Pharisee. Orders of magnitude better. Did Jesus tell him to do that? We're not told that he did. But this says something about the power of forgiveness, about Jesus saying, I want to make a change in your life. And Zacchaeus goes, and my life is changed. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. At least as much, at least as much as the self-righteous Pharisee. I don't see Zacchaeus as this worthless sinner. I see him as exactly the kind of orphan that I came to save. That's who I see. When I look at this guy that is hateful, when I look at this guy that is on the other side, when I look at this this guy who is gouging his people because he can, I see a guy that desperately needs God. And being God, I thought, hey, me. Right? You are ambassadors of that kingdom. When you see somebody who is mistreating others, when you see somebody who is abusing their position, when you see somebody who is gouging other people because they can, they're on the wrong side of history, you look at them and you go, my heart breaks for you and I have compassion. 
And I love you, you poor orphan. Yes? Because you want to be like Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was righteous. What? Did I misread that? What does it say? Oh, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So if you go, so they're not really lost. They're just different. You go, nope, really lost. So we should hate them. Nope, really lost. They're broken. They're lost. I should love them. I should reach out to them because that's what they need. You've heard me say this before. The church is not supposed to be this museum for saints or a torture chamber for sinners. It's supposed to be a mash unit, isn't it? It's supposed to be a hospital for people who are wounded and broken. And it's on the battlefield. And when somebody is brought in on stretchers, wounded and bleeding, we have to see them as the reason we're there, yes? And I don't care what their uniform is. The moment they're brought in, even if they're dressed like the enemy, even if half an hour before they were shooting at my buddy, when they're brought in, they're my patient. Right? That's the way we need to look at this world. Not the way the world does. The world just looks at flags and uniforms. My uniform is different than your uniform, so I hate you and I shoot at you. We need to look at them and go, yep, you hate me and you shoot at me because you're wounded and you don't even realize it. You've been wounded by your own side. You've been wounded by, God help us, my side. But my Savior saw me wounded and bleeding on a stretcher and reached out to me. That same stretcher you are on right now. So how do I help you? Don't, don't. Focus on the uniform. Focus on the need. It's why we're here. In Mark 11, we're told, um, and you can go to Mark 11 with me if you'd like, but in Mark 11, we're told that as they approached Jerusalem, they came to suburban Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll, uh, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Why you why you taking my car? If anyone asks, why are you taking this? Tell them the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back to you shortly. Is that a good enough answer? How is that possibly a good enough answer? If somebody cares enough about their donkey that they're actually going to ask you why you're taking it, how is that a good enough answer? Unless God has prepared those people for that answer. It matters to them. So they went and they found a colt outside the street, uh, tied at the doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they answered as Jesus told them, and the people let them go, because that was a good enough answer. I have no idea how God prepared them for this, and yet he did. It's okay that the Lord is borrowing it, because it belongs to him, right? Who built the donkey? Who built it? Yeah. God created the donkey. It's God's donkey. You're just using it for a time, but it's God's donkey. But think of the object lessons that would be for the disciples. For Jesus to say, there's a donkey sitting there. Tell him, and that'll be enough. The disciples go and say, this is exactly the way he said. You know, earlier he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to crucify me. I'm going to rise again. 
They went, oh, whatever. Goes, By the way, go and you'll see a donkey and they'll give it to you. And they're like, what? Oh, wow, everything he said comes true. So they're going to crucify me. and Never, Lord! Peter, you picked up the donkey. Did you not track that I know what I'm talking about? Matthew tells us that this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you. Your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not on a war horse, because he's not coming to do battle. He's already won. He's victorious. He's riding on this gentle little donkey. But I love that Jesus is using that classic rabbinic tradition of telling you part of a verse and you've got to fill in the rest of it. He's forever doing that. Bum, bum, da, dum, dum. Because in Zechariah, we're told, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. He's actively seeking you out. You, you lost, you broken, you messed up people. You have always been the plan. He's coming to you, Zacchaeus. He's coming to you, Mark. He's coming to you, Gwyneth. He's coming to you, Kent. He's coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Oh, that's the part you have to add yourself. He's coming with righteousness and salvation. This is is a coming to like the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. Can't help but think that Jesus is thinking of Zechariah going, with salvation. Yep. Gentlemen, I need me my donkey. Of course, it's all this truth. God really had prepared this moment, just like he prepared people like Zacchaeus. I love it. that In rapid succession, twice over, Jesus goes, now. I have no idea how long he'd been preparing Zacchaeus. I have no idea how long he'd been preparing for that donkey. But he's like, Zacchaeus, today's the day I come to your house. Zacchaeus is like, absolutely. That whatever preparation happened with this donkey, Jesus goes, now. Because I love it. I don't think that the guys went, what are you doing taking my car? I genuinely think somewhere along the line, they've been prepared. Somehow they knew the Lord was going to come for this donkey. Somehow they knew. And I don't know how much they knew. I don't know if they knew that the Messiah was coming. I don't know if they knew that the King of Israel was coming. I don't know. They just knew that the Lord was going to come for this donkey. So two guys come and start untying the donkey, and they go, Why are you untying the donkey? And two guys go, Because it's now. The Lord needs it now. What an object lesson it was for those guys to go, God knows what he's doing. He's got to send shivers up their spine. They're like, it's his donkey. It's always been his donkey. Those disciples who were sent ahead found it just as they were told. And as they untied the colt, its owners asked them, why are you doing this? And they said, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it because the donkey had never been ridden. This unbroken colt calmly just trots along. 
Like he'd been born for this. They threw their cloaks on the colt. They put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And Matthew and John said that the people who had no cloaks cut down palm branches. Spread on the road. Anything that they could say, this is our red carpet. You were the king. Because they didn't see a carpenter riding a donkey. They saw a king riding into town. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, near the Garden of Gethsemane, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Blessed is the king, they cried, who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting from Psalm 118. Hosanna, save us now. Because that's the whole point of all this. The world is lost. It's filled with sinners like you and me. It's broken. It needs to be embraced by the God whom they have ignored. It needs to be embraced by the church family whom they have hated. The world needs that. The world is filled with enemies who desperately need to be told that they are enemies only in their own hearts and minds. That from God's perspective, from God's people's perspective, they're not enemies, they're just lost children who desperately need to be shown where their dad is. Shown the way home to their family, to the father who loves them. I don't know, maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're like, I just, I feel broken, I feel unforgivable, I don't know. Maybe you feel like the little cult where you're like, I just feel overwhelmed by it all, and I, I, I feel like I've, I've been unridden and unneeded until this moment. I guarantee God has primed you to be where you're at for a reason. And God always looks at you and says, now. I will use you now. Because I, I built you. I sculpted you. I sculpted you to do, I don't, I don't know, what he sculpted you to do. Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to speak to? What's he sculpted you to do? Who can you tell today about what your hope is for 100 years from now? Luke 19 says, they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're crying on Palm Sunday. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the people, and said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're getting too excited. They're calling you the Messiah. They're equating you with God. Matthew tells us that when the chief priests and the teachers of the law, you know, the righteous people, when they saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, save us, Messiah, all these wonderful things, they were indignant. They said, do you hear what the children are saying, that they're praising you in the temple area? Yeah replied Jesus. Have you never read from Psalm 8 from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Luke says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Yeah, everyone should be excited that the Messiah is here. You're not? Well, then that's why they are. And if they weren't, make the donkey say it. If he wouldn't, the rocks will say it. But creation, as Paul tells us, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Everything has been saying, I'm waiting for this moment. And Jesus says, no. He told his disciples earlier, I tell you, open up your eyes, look to the field, they're ripe for harvest. Beloved, open up your eyes. You are surrounded 
You're on a battlefield and you are surrounded. Praise God. Because you're not surrounded by enemies. You're surrounded by your mission field. Half the time they're even trying to engage you. I mean, they'll do it hatefully. They'll tell you that you're horribly wrong. They tell you you're the one that needs to change, but they're engaging you in the topic. You do not have to work hard. Praise God. What's the worst they're going to do? Humiliate you? They can't. Only you can humiliate you. All the most they can do is try. What are they going to do? Kill you? I'm not planning to get out of this life alive anyway. What's the worst they can do? Beloved, you are surrounded by the children you're supposed to be touching, the children whose lives you're supposed to be saving, the people you're supposed to be connected with. You're surrounded. The fields are ripe and ready to be harvested. Your king rides in and says, they're right, I am king. Pilate asks him, he says, no, you're right, I am king. Post a sign saying, I think he is. If a corrupt, sinning tax collector like Zacchaeus can glorify the living God, if young children and mute donkeys can glorify the living God, if dead stones can rise up to glorify the living God, what is God telling you and me to do? At least in this first, last teaching in the first day of the last week of his life. It's all mine, he says. The fields, the stones, the donkeys, Zacchaeus, them, you, and I've come for what's mine. Praise God. Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that there's so much more to life than breathing. There's so much more to living than there is my heart beating. There's so much more to warfare than shooting at the person shooting at me. Lord, I thank you that we don't live the same life that we did before. And I pray, be glorified in the life that we do live, a life worthy of the calling we've received as ambassadors of your kingdom. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.